We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, Her Hoop Sets fans, welcome to another episode of Her Hoop Sets Unplugged. As always, you're here with Megan Cower. Happy New Year, everyone. So excited to be back with you this week talking about NCAA women's basketball, some of the bigger games that have happened over these past couple weeks over the holidays. No, it's been a couple of weeks, but really excited to get back into it. And to kick off our first episode of 2021, I'm here with Calvin Wetzel. Hey, Calvin, how's it going? Hey Megan, I'm I'm good. How are you doing? Doing all right. We made it to 2021. It doesn't really feel like it's off to much of a better start than 2020, but at least we made it to the year, New Year. So something, yeah. I guess. <laughs> something like that. We're recording this on Wednesday when uh, the world is ending and everyone is under attack. So it definitely still feels like 2020. But um, basketball is happening, so there's something good at least. Yeah, we're using this as a distraction from everything else going on in the world, so bear with us if our takes are a little fragmented in this episode, <laughs> obviously. A few different things on our minds as we're doing this, but um, still excited to talk about women's college basketball. Um, it's been a couple of weeks since we've been back on plug, took a couple of weeks off for the holidays, so excited to talk about kind of a bunch of stuff that's happened since there. I guess we could start it off with the news that basically just dropped about the Wooden Award midseason list has come out. So top 25 watch list for that Player of the Year award. Um, I think one thing that jumped out to me is I don't think Caitlin Clark was on this list in the preseason. Don't quote me on that. Maybe she was, but the freshman from Iowa has been added to the list. Um, and then a couple schools that've got multiple players on the list. UConn leading the way with three. They've got Paige Beckers. Olivia Nelson Odota and Kristen Williams on the list. And then South Carolina still with two players on the list, Aaliyah Boston and Zaya Cook. 
let's see who else. Um, Arkansas also has two players on the list in Destiny Slocum and Chelsea Dungey, and Stanford with two players on the list as well in Haley Jones and Kiana Williams. And then a handful of other, well, more than a handful of other players on the list as well for the top 25. I think a lot of the usual suspects there. Anything off that list that jumps out at you for right off the bat? Yeah, well, you're. I just pulled it up here. You're right that Caitlin Clark was not uh, on it. I have, I guess, December first was that the preseason. That was a week into the season, um, but I guess that was the preseason list, right? Um, yeah, I think so. That's okay. That's the one I got pulled up. Yeah, you're right. Caitlin Clark was not on it. She's definitely a, a worthy addition. Um, Haley Jones, who you mentioned from Stanford, was also not on that preseason list. She maybe she should have been, um, but I think you know probably people were. Maybe just a little bit nervous of her coming off of that injury. Obviously missed like the second half of last year. How would she bounce back from that? Which is which is fair. But she's answered those questions. She's bounced back better than she was before uh, and definitely deserves to be on that list as well. Uh, Clark and Beckers, the only two freshmen on this list, dominated by upperclassmen as it usually is. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if anything really stands out to me here. Is anyone that I'm necessarily surprised is on this list? Um, it's definitely definitely a who's who of the best names in college basketball as it should be. Yeah, exactly. I think the thing that jumps out to me, which is not really much of a take, but a little bit of a take is that I think there's just not like a, a clear front runner here at this point. Like I think it's kind of in a way anyone's ballgame still here. So um, it's going to be interesting to kind of see how that shakes out as, I mean, obviously it's a small sample size in a lot of cases. There's plenty of teams that have only managed to get in five or six games some probably even fewer at this point so lots of basketball to hopefully be played but um I think right now it's it feels like a pretty wide open race yeah absolutely and we were talking beforehand about you know UConn getting some games canceled against Mississippi State and Louisville and now sadly this week uh tomorrow or when you're listening to this it'll be yesterday uh their game uh, got canceled against Baylor as well so we haven't really gotten a chance to see Paige Beckers against that sort of top five, top 10 level team. They played DePaul, but uh, you're right. There's no, there's no front runner. I don't think it's not like last year. We sort of knew go even going into the season before this point, even we had a, a good idea. It was, you know, probably going to be Sabrina, you know, you could maybe throw Lauren Cox in there and then she missed a few games uh, this year. It's just wide open, which is, which is awesome. Yeah, for sure. And I think the other thing, I mean, like you said, UConn hasn't played anyone, but I think really a lot of the top 10 outside of your, you know, your Pac-12 teams, it's, I mean, South Carolina and NC State played back in that early season game, but, you know, Louisville has played, but DePaul hasn't really played anyone else. They've been on pause for a while. I mean, Baylor's now on pause also, other than the Arkansas game, hasn't played really any top teams. So it's there's a lot of unknowns, I still feel like, at the top. I think we've been talking about this since the start of the season. But it feels like even though we've gotten some games under the belt, we know a little bit more, but we still don't know a whole lot more just because there's not a lot of measuring sticks between kind of how all these teams stack up against each other in, in non-conference play at this point. Yeah, exactly, which which gives us a measuring stick for a lot of the top players, too, when we when we get those kind of games because, you know, a lot of, a lot of teams – or, excuse me, a lot of players are going to – put up those gaudy numbers, uh, you know, in a, in a blowout win in a, in a guarantee game or, uh, whatever, whatever those type of games are that, that you're going to play in the non-conference. And some, some had those non-conference tests. We saw Leah Boston and Lisa Kunane. Neither of them really had a good game when they played each other, but, uh, 
now we're getting into conference season, the, the meat of, you know, it, as long as the games aren't getting canceled, which some will be, the, most of your opponents are going to be pretty good, uh, and we're going to get, you know, a better chance to see some of these players, how they, how they perform against that top-level competition. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I mean, we'll probably talk about some of the Pac-12 names on this list as we get into talking about some of those games because we have gotten a little bit of a measuring stick there just in terms of, you know, conference play being underway and the Pac-12, again, at the top being so strong. So we've seen at this point kind of the top schools play each other. Stanford has played UCLA um, and Oregon, right? Or no, Arizona. Uh, sorry, Arizona, I'm going to get yeah. all mixed up. <laughs> yeah, so Stanford's <laughs> played UCLA and Arizona. Uh, UCLA has also played Oregon. So we've seen kind of some of those top of the Pac-12 games to give us a little bit of a barometer there. So, um, and then, of yeah. course, we also have seen UCLA and Arizona play back before the new year. So, Right, the Pac-12 got a little bit of an early start uh, compared to a lot of, com- at least a lot of power conferences, um, which is good. A lot of them played six six games already. Um, some of the power conference really just getting started this past week. So definitely, definitely a little bit more of a sense of things in the Pac-12, which I know we're going to get into a lot because what better conference is there to talk about than the Pac-12? Exactly. I think, you know, it's a quiet week next week in the Pac-12, but this past like two weeks have been just crazy for them. So we've seen a lot of those big games. Maybe we'll see some non-conference matchups out of them in the next week because I feel like the schedule's changed so much now. I'm just trying to like speak a UConn Stanford game to existence because they both have an off week at the moment. So, um, but anyways, we'll see what happens. I just I don't think that's actually happening. I'm just making that up because I would like to see it happen. <laughs> and they both don't have a game for a whole week, so it seems like a great plan. Um, yeah, it's but, that kind of last minute scheduling has been happening all over the country. So why not? Let's make it happen. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah, do we want to just dive right into some of those Pac-12 stuff? I think the most recent of those games was the Oregon-UCLA game that was just this past weekend on Sunday. Um, obviously, that was a fun one. UCLA pulled out the win, but just by a narrow margin. 73-71. to 71, I believe it was. Um, that was, that was a really fun game. I know you and I both were not able to watch it live, so we DVR'd it. Um, and you ended up getting to watch it, right? Later? Yeah, yeah, I did watch it later. I tried yeah. to, like, avoid the notifications, but unfortunately <laughs> I have way too many sports apps on my phone and, like, was not successful <laughs> at that. Yeah. But still watched Weird. it. Still a great game, even though you knew the outcome. <laughs> we're in the same boat on that. I was hoping to, to watch it before I saw anything, but, you know, oops. <laughs> It's, it's hard to avoid sometimes. But, oh, well, it was a fun game to watch. Um, definitely. I was very impressed by UCLA. I, I thought Oregon was, was going to come out of that one. I will say, you know, with all due respect to UCLA, I still think if Oregon has Sedona Prince that they probably win that game. Um, I know I know you're a big UCLA person. They're basically your second team. So I'm not, I don't want to, like, take anything away from UCLA winning that game. Uh, but I do, th- I do think that's a big loss for Oregon in the middle. But – that uh, that was big for UCLA in the standings too to be able to to compete. You have to win games like that if you're going to, especially on the road. Even in a year with no fans, there's still uh, some sort of home court advantage uh, just from traveling and knowing your own rim. So being being able to win that one on the road in particular was really big if, if they're going to compete for a Pac-12 title. 
For sure. And I think, I mean, obviously the thing that stood out to me was from that game from UCLA's perspective was Michaela Anyue and Charisma Osborne just combining for 55 points. Kind of really the what drove UCLA to that win. But of course, I mean, the staple to every UCLA win was the defense, I think. The Oregon, this Oregon team is especially a very good shooting team, and they were able to hold them to shooting, you know, 46% from the floor, which isn't particularly low, but I think probably lower than their average and only 31% from three on a team that can hit a lot of threes. So um, the defense definitely is what kind of got them over the hump with that win, and then um, they were able to get enough done on offense. I think that's kind of tends to be the story with this UCLA team. The defense is always good, but can they do enough on offense to get the win? And they were able to do it against Oregon. I think yeah. the other thing that struck me about this game, though, was like the late game execution was just, on both ends of the floor, really, really <laughs> bad late game execution. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, it was a little bit of like, you know, leave the door open, leave the door open, not going to walk through it. <laughs> like... <laughs> One team has, you know, every every time you kept thinking that one of these teams has an opportunity to sort of put this game away, and <laughs> nope. But uh, <laughs> that I don't mind that honestly. Like as a fan, I don't I don't mind watching games where uh, I would rather watch that than than watch a blowout. I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed. It still keeps it interesting, but it's just like it's a little frustrating to watch from a perspective of like it's like can someone do something to like try to win this game? Um, I mean, obviously, things that'll probably get cleaned up in time. The programs have only played in what probably one or two closed games so far this season, so that stuff just comes with practice and figuring that out. And I mean, something they all want to clean up come March, of course, but. I think, you know, playing in this, these types of games during the season and even when you you don't execute well down the stretch, it gives plenty of tape for them to go back and figure out, well, how do we execute better down the stretch so that when you get to those big games in March, you're prepared for that. Yeah, and, you know, Oregon hadn't really played a whole lot of close games either. They had a close win at Washington State, who we might need to talk about in a little bit. But uh, that was really their only close game I'm looking through their margins I think that was their only margin within 20 even so uh and that's a young team obviously Oregon losing everything they did last year and bringing in a bunch of freshmen and a bunch of transfers and so uh it's it's the same deal on both sides where well not in terms of being young UCLA's got a lot of veterans but just in terms of you know that that's that that's something that will come as the season progresses and they get more especially with the late start this year more more practice time and more experience under their belt playing together yeah, for sure. UCLA, UCLA has the veterans, but they're still lacking on the player front. I feel like they're, I think, still only at eight players. They were at nine for a bit, but then um, Chantel Horvat is back in Australia with an injury. They're freshmen from Australia, still haven't been able to get into the country. Um, but they did add a freshman from what was supposed to be next year's class who has finished high school early and decided to start her time at UCLA this semester. So, a big ad for them just in terms of the fact that it's more bodies on the bench for yeah. them that's really <laughs> struggling to have bodies on the bench right now. <laughs> like she has a pulse, yes. Like therefore she can help us. She, she's probably... I believe she is also a top fifty recruit, yeah. so more than just a pulse, but yeah, for sure. That's like <laughs> secondary. That, yeah. Like if you're good at basketball, yeah. that's like icing on the cake. First you just need to be like a, a person who can play. 
<laughs> exactly. So, I mean, I know they are still trying to get their freshmen in the country, but I don't know what the latest is on that. So good for them to be able to add another body to that roster for practice purposes and obviously for games because it's it's not a deep bench at all. Um, I think that part of probably the late game execution from them is just when all of your players have played that many minutes because you don't have a lot of options. People are tired. So, yeah. And I don't know, I don't know if you know or not, if they're able to, if they have a men's team this year, I know most teams do usually, but uh, this year I know some things are different. If they're able to practice against uh, like a men's scrimmage team. Um, Yeah. I'm not sure what they're doing. I know it kind of, I think it varies school to school on, most teams typically use them, but if they're actually yeah. using them this year, there's right. just obviously huge advantages to using it, but also a extra layer of risk in terms of COVID. So kind of yeah, I'm not sure. There. I'm not sure what UCLA is doing this year if they have one or not. But if not, I mean, then you're just talking about you know, oftentimes in practice you're gonna you need ten to go against each other, obviously, but also you can do a lot of things in practice with eight people, but you can't simulate end-game situations uh, with anything less than 10 people if you don't have that extra practice squad. Um, because, you know, that's a thing that coaches are going to do a lot of times is just put 30 seconds on the clock and make tie game, all right, and, you know, late game execution, give one team the ball and and figure it out. And uh, if, if you can't do that, that really shows up in games like that. Yeah, for sure. It's unfortunately, another challenge of this year and the season, but – hopefully they'll get those two extra players at some point if they can find a way to yeah do you know the the status with the australian players i don't know why they haven't been allowed to enter yet it seems kind of yeah so i think the issue is that ucla does not have any in-person classes at this point so because they are like new students without in-person classes they're not being allowed into the country um i think the latest i heard is that they're basically oh, suing like state department to try to get them into the country. So I don't, I don't know how that's progressing, but yeah, that's um, what I was going to add. I heard that they were suing the, you know, cause they don't have in-person class, but I wasn't sure what the update in terms of how the, where are the lawsuits at? Cause uh, <laughs> it seems like it might be time to, to, to wrap, wrap that up. So UCLA can, so we can see these players and UCLA can have some bodies cause I don't, right. I don't see a problem with it. That's that's a side note. That's my take. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess there's probably bigger things that the State Department is worrying about right yeah. now. But yeah. that's, that's a valid point. <laughs> that's accurate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> going around the Pac-12 this weekend, we also got Stanford Arizona game. Uh, a big win for Stanford there. Yeah, I got the final score was eighty-one to fifty-four. It was uh, it was not pretty for Arizona. <laughs> Did you have any thoughts on that game? <laughs> I feel like my I was I think disappointed by the performance from Arizona because I think Stanford is very good, but I don't think that like Arizona played at the level that they're at. Like I think this is a good Arizona team. I mean, we saw them beat UCLA if you few weeks back and when UCLA played Stanford a couple weeks back the final score doesn't reflect it that well but they they hung pretty tight with them for most of the game kind of lost a little bit at the end couldn't make a bucket but um, was able to kind of compete with Stanford through most of that game 
And I just don't, I think, you know, in this game, Stanford just went up early and stayed up and there wasn't a whole lot of competition there. So a little bit of a disappointing performance from Arizona, especially on the offensive end. I think defensively, not a horrible performance, but offensively, I mean, they shot 25% from the floor. It doesn't get much worse than that. Yeah, I, uh, Arizona is definitely better than that. Um, I will say though, I'm not sure yet how sold I am on Arizona. I think Early in the year, we were on this podcast and we were talking about uh, how many close games they were winning. I'm looking back at their margins. They won three of their first five games by either one or three points, one possession games. Um, How easily, those are coin flips when you get to be in a one possession game at the end of the game. I mean, how easily they could have started two and three instead of five and oh. Um, And obviously there is some element of late game execution, like we talked about with the UCLA and the Oregon, but... uh, (laughs) At the same time, no one wins every close game over the course of a season, you know. Sometimes just the bounces go the wrong way. If they would have started even even three and two, or, uh, you know, we would have been having a whole different conversation about them. Instead, you know, they were five and zero. Oh, they ended up making it to six and zero oh, and or seven and zero, oh, excuse me. And and uh, they almost cracked the top five in the AP poll because that's how the AP poll works. It doesn't really matter how you win; it matters that you win and you move up. Uh, I, they're still a good team, no doubt. And I don't think the score is, is representative of who they are, but I also am not sure if I'm sold on them as a top 10. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think they just haven't really answered that question of like who else can step up. Like I think we've seen Ari McDonald, obviously, as a big player for them. And then Sam Thomas has been good as well, but they still need like another option, it feels like. Um, and it's just not something we've consistently seen at this point. And I think a lot of these other top 10 teams had all these same kind of questions coming into the season, but we've we've seen more answers there, and I just don't think we've seen it from Arizona. Yeah, to your point, other than Aaron McDonald, the only player averaging more than eight points a game is Kay Reese at 12. So uh, they really uh, they could use a, a second and third score, um, definitely, you know, on the offensive end and someone to take, take the load off of uh, Aerie for sure. And, you know, sometimes Shayna, Shayna Pellington has been um, that off the bench to take take the ball handling load off of Aerie a little bit. Um, but I think they really need someone to take the scoring load off as well. It's someone, especially when defenses are going to focus key in on her so much, uh, someone else who can go get you a bucket. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she's going to continue to draw the brunt of the defensive uh, attention from all of these teams in the Pac-12 and if they don't have other options. I mean, more power to these teams to just double her because who else are you leaving open that's going to make you pay? If no one's going to make you pay, might as well double her triple team Ari. So, um, yeah, I think that's the question they need to answer. And if they can't answer that, they're probably not a top 10 team. They're still good. But I think you're kind of starting to see a little bit of a maybe separation for of them from that top group of the Pac-12 and that Stanford I mean, Stanford kind of feels like they're at a bit of a higher level right now, and then you've got like UCLA and Arizona, or UCLA and Oregon, and then Arizona after that, maybe. Yeah, I would I would agree with that definitely with Arizona fourth, and just looking at their starting lineup here too, and their their three point shooting. Even if you don't have that player who can you can give the ball to late shot clock, they can go get a bucket on their own. You at least have to have someone who you can kick it out to, right? When defenses collapse on on Airy and. Uh, the, the other four starters are all shooting in the 20s from three-point. Um, I mean, that, that's not going to get it done. If, uh, you know, you don't even have to be able to create your own shot necessarily, although that would be nice. But you got to be able to at least stretch the defense a little bit um, and make them guard more than one player. 
Exactly. Exactly. I think another team that we need to talk about in the Pac-12, probably a team that no one thought we'd be talking about, but Washington State, now three votes in the actual in the AP poll this week, and then I mean they they've started off six and one. The team that was picked at the, to be at the bottom of the Pac-12 that just does not look like a bottom of the Pac-12 team right now. No, oh, this team has been amazing. I've been doing some reading on on them. Uh, I'm gonna write. I have an article coming out, you know, maybe next week about about Washington State. But this team is this team has been awesome. They won four games in the Pac-12 last year. They won four games in the Pac-12 the year before. They haven't made the tournament since '91. I wasn't born then. I don't think you were born then either. Um, nope. <laughs> it's, it's it's been a bit, and they were picked last this year by both the coaches' poll and the media poll. Um, but that's because no one knew anything about. Charlie's Ledger Walker, uh, the super freshman who's leading the Pac-12 in scoring, leading the Pac-12 in steals per game. She, she came over from New Zealand, so none of us over here knew about her. Uh, she came to play with her sister, who's a redshirt senior on the team, Crystal, uh, who transferred from Northern Colorado uh, a couple years ago. And they have been great. Charlie's in particular has been phenomenal. Um and and Washington State's Washington State's real. I I don't think they're they're going to challenge to win the league or anything. But I think that tournament drought might might end this year. Yeah, I mean, you said they only won four Pac-12 games in the last two seasons. They've already won four this season, and then the one <laughs> loss they have in the Pac-12 is to Oregon by only four points. So they were right in that game. Um, so really impressive. The thing that jumped out to me, like looking at their stats, is just. Their, their defensive stats, they're 18th in the country for steal rate and 19th in the country for block rate. So just really getting it done on the defensive end, forcing turnovers, blocking shots to kind of convert that into, I mean, their offense has been decent, not fantastic, but we're able to kind of rely on that defensive presence to get these wins in the Pac-12 to start out the season. Um, I'm excited to watch them. I haven't watched a ton of them yet, obviously, and most people probably haven't just because it's not what you were expecting out of this Washington State team, but it definitely is a team to keep an eye on going forward. I think even what we were talking about with Arizona, like having some questions answered, I think Washington State has a chance to kind of challenge Arizona for that probably fourth spot in the Pac-12. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we're going to get a good answer to that question uh, in four days from now. By the time you're listening to this, it'll be this weekend on Sunday. January is January 10th, Sunday. Whatever day January 10th is, I don't even <laughs> I think I it's Sunday. My, I don't know my calendar anymore. I have days are all yeah, it's Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> okay, on Sunday, these two teams play each other. Washington State has the Arizona schools this weekend. Uh, and we're going to get a good answer to that question. I'm not, I'm with you. I'm not convinced that Arizona is going to win that game. Um, like you said, the defense of Washington State and in both Ledger Walkers are averaging two plus steals a game. Charlize is over three. Um, to your point about creating turnovers, it's really cool that the sisters are the ones the ones leading the charge in that regard. Uh, they don't turn it over very much themselves either. Uh, on on the other end, the sisters and and even really the whole team, their offense isn't necessarily a well oiled machine in terms of in terms of shooting um, and shot efficiency, but but they really don't turn it over that much. So. I, I'm excited to see this this team play Arizona, and it, it'll be it'll be a good measuring stick for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think a team to have on your radar if they're not on your radar at this point. And 
will not be surprised if we see them make their way into that AP Top 25 shortly. They're already getting the votes, so a bit a win over Arizona would certainly probably put them in contention to maybe sneak on to there next week um, or at least pick up that vote total, so one thing to be keeping an eye on for sure. Yeah, especially if they beat Arizona State, too. If they sweep the Arizona schools, I think I think they're in. I think they're into the rankings. Yeah, I would have to imagine. like They're probably only getting three votes, not because that they're not good, but just because they weren't really on people's radar. But if you if you sweep, is it a road trip to Arizona, too? Or is it a... It, uh, it is home, so they do okay. have that goal for that. But even uh, still, sweeping the Arizonas at, at home is a... Is a noteworthy accomplishment and worthy of a, a nod into that top twenty-five. So, absolutely, will be interesting to see how this we, this weekend goes for them. I feel like we've rounded up the Pac-12 pretty good here. Any miscellaneous comments on the Pac-12 or any other conferences that we should talk about? Yeah, I'm. Uh, I think I'm set on the Pac-12. I don't. You got any conferences you want to jump into? I know we talked a little bit about. Uh, you know, before we started here about the SEC or the ACC. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that strikes me for the SEC and the ACC is that we've kind of got what we expected so far. I mean, the ACC, you've got Louisville and NC State expected to be the top there. They haven't played each other yet, so I don't think either has lost a conference game yet. Yeah, they're both undefeated at this point, so looking forward to that game when it comes, but... I feel like not a whole lot to talk about there, other than the fact that, of course, it's been a bit since we recorded, so Duke has officially in the ACC opted out of the season um, following coronavirus concerns. The team had been on pause for COVID-19 and then decided to not come back from that pause. I think one of the main things that was cited is that Duke and I think other teams in the ACC have been doing daily testing, whereas other programs are not doing that and just like the rest wasn't worth it which hats off to them to making that decision obviously a really tough decision to make but uh, obviously probably the right decision given everything going on yeah I agree I as much as I'm following college basketball and talking about it and watching it I feel a little bit hypocritical in sense doing it because I do think it's probably smarter to not play at this point when especially when there's sort of a light at the end of the tunnel with the vaccines coming um Definitely, definitely props to Kara Lawson for making that tough decision. I think it was the right call. Um, but, in, you know, in terms of the teams that are playing, you talk about Louisville and NC State. Looks like that game is on January 17th. I'm looking forward to it, too, although I also, we probably should have said that. I, I should have said this when we talked about Arizona-Washington State. It's probably not a good idea to look forward to any games this year. Um, yeah. They probably won't happen. It doesn't happen. to go well. Yeah, don't, don't look forward to things. Um, but... You know, it's still a little bit. Like, I, I can't really help it. <laughs> I hope these games happen. Yeah. Louisville and NC State, especially. I'm, as much as Washington State, Arizona is going to be cool. That one is is really going to determine. And they only play each other once, you know, even if the, the schedule pans out the way it's supposed to. Um, so that honestly could determine the regular season ACC champion uh, if the game does, in fact, happen. Yeah, exactly. I have a confidence that game, it might not happen on January 17th, but it, it will happen, I think. I think the conferences are more on top of making sure these games get rescheduled. These non-conference games, I think just when it gets canceled and there's all these league games to be rescheduled already, that has to take precedence, and therefore a lot of these non-conference games that get canceled just won't be rescheduled. But I do think that we will see that 
even if that game doesn't get played on the 17th, which hopefully it just, I mean, Louisville has had a, between their own pause and the amount of disruptions they've had to their schedule. I think hopefully that one will just go on as, as planned. They should be headed for some good luck at some point, you would think. Um, but we, I think we'll at least see that game. Yeah, I, I think so. They almost have to play it at some point if they can't play it on that day. You think, because you think about it, you know, if they aren't able to play that game, if both teams end up going undefeated, which is not completely unrealistic, um, there's there's no way you have to determine the one seed in the ACC tournament with a coin flip. Basically, there's no it yeah. doesn't matter what tiebreaker you do. There's no head to head, and any tiebreaker you do, they'd both be undefeated in whatever it is. So unless you did point differential or something like that, uh, but I mean, <laughs> I think you almost have to play the game. Yeah, I'm sure if that game gets disrupted, it will be on like the the top of the conference priority list to make sure that that one gets yeah. played. So, yeah, if they're so gonna let any game we'll... you know not get made up, it would probably not be that one. It would probably be, you know, between two teams at the bottom of the conference. I would think. Yeah, exactly. Same thing with the big games. We've got I think a handful of them coming, and have had a couple already in the SEC. We've got. Was it? I mean, Mississippi State is no longer a top ten team, but you still have Mississippi State, Kentucky, Texas A and M, South Carolina, and even Arkansas, if I believe, is still in the top. Yeah, thirteenth. So a lot of teams from the SEC that are in this top twenty-five that will make for some really interesting TV going forward too. Yeah, the SEC is really good at the top. They Texas A&M, three of their next four games are against top 15 opponents in Kentucky and Arkansas and Mississippi State, and that doesn't even mention South Carolina in there. So definitely definitely some good uh, things to not look forward to, but a little bit look forward to. And <laughs> <laughs> in, in Kentucky, we've already seen, you know, with Kentucky and Mississippi State, the overtime game, uh, was it last week? Like, now nah, I'm, yeah. I'm back to being all messed up on my calendar. I think it was last week, though. <laughs> that was a fantastically <laughs> entertaining game. For sure, yeah, that was a great one. And I think, I mean, we're going to keep seeing that from the top of the SEC. There's a lot of great games there. Just kind of off-the-cuff question for you about the SEC. Do you think anyone's going to challenge South Carolina for that title this year? I think we haven't seen necessarily seen South Carolina play any of those top teams yet, but I think... No, it maybe doesn't feel quite as like South Carolina's to lose as it did at the beginning of the season. I I agree with that. I think there's you know the tough thing is that there's four or five other really good teams that might all kind of beat each other up uh, versus maybe just one other team who's sort of separating itself from the pack. Uh, but if if one of those other teams between, I think you, you talk about Arkansas, Kentucky, Texas A&M, and Mississippi State. Uh, I don't know. Is there anyone else you would throw in there, maybe in that tier uh, that I'm missing? I, I don't think so. I think you got it. Yeah, I think. So if you talk about those four, if one of those teams can do significantly well against the other three of those teams um, in in the head-to-head matchups and and they all and sort of separate themselves, then, yeah, I definitely think there's a chance for someone to challenge South Carolina, at least to maybe share the SEC title this year. Yeah, I would agree with that. I know Kentucky isn't ranked quite as high as, like, A&M is right now, but I feel like Kentucky is definitely on my radar for that just because Ryan Howard, it's Ryan Howard. We learned this this week. I don't know how we didn't know, but it's not Ryan Howard. It's Ryan Howard, so... 
gonna work on that but um she's just she's one of those players that really can just change the game that whenever she's on the court so Kentucky to me just jumps off the page as being kind of a the front runner if a team's gonna do that um actually appointment television this week assuming nothing happens between Sunday and when we've recorded this but they are South Carolina and Kentucky are supposed to play Sunday afternoon um so that's a good one to not look forward to but hope that we get to watch this weekend um, <laughs> I think that's that's probably a good picture of what could be your SEC title game so yeah if Kentucky is able to win that one I think you you can definitely talk about Kentucky as being right there with South Carolina I am looking at South Carolina's schedule one thing they have going for them uh I think Kentucky is the, it looks like the only one of those teams in that tier that they play twice. They play uh, Texas A&M once, they play Arkansas once, they play Mississippi State once. Um, so just in terms of the scheduling, I think that's a little bit, again, if the schedule pans out the way it's supposed to, they get a little bit of an advantage there um, and not having to, I think they play five games against those, the next tier of four teams that we talked about. So um, that that could benefit them a little bit, but but if they if they aren't able to beat Kentucky, that's that's a moot point. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I'm particularly excited for that game. I think it's gonna be interesting. I think we haven't really seen South Carolina play a real test since they lost that NC State game, which was just all around an ugly game. So I'm interested to see kind of what they look like against another top type opponent, and if they look better than they did in that NC State game. Yeah, definitely. They uh, they played Iowa State in their very next game, who was who I, th- I think just outside the rankings at the time. They've fallen off the map a little bit. They're a decent team, but definitely not the type of test that NC State is or the type of test that those other next-tier teams in the SEC are either. Um, so, so I'm excited to see how they fare against some of these other teams as well, especially with their shooting, which I still have some concerns about. Uh, I wrote about that earlier this year. Their three-point percentage as a team looks really good on paper but it's it's basically all Zaya Cook. Uh, she's shooting 51% from 3, which is which is nuts. But um <laughs> Destiny Henderson has been has been solid from 3. She's been better than she has been the last couple of years. No one else has has really stepped up and been able to shoot for them. Um I do like that Aaliyah Boston's trying actually. Uh, she's taken more threes. <laughs> I think maybe already than she did all of last year. Uh she's she's taken 14 threes this year. Which is which is cool. I think uh, by the time you, she gets into her junior, and who knows whether she'll have a senior year or not. But I think we really could see her as a legitimate stretch big. But she's not there yet, so um, that that is one concern I would have for South Carolina. You know, if, if there is an Achilles heel. Yeah, for sure. I'm also interested just to see kind of what Aaliyah Boston does in that game because I think she definitely struggled. I mean, of course, against the likes of. Eliza Kunane from NC State in that big game. But I feel like we just haven't, I mean, there's been a couple instances, but we haven't seen a lot of games from Aaliyah Boston yet this season, and they've only played eight. But haven't seen a ton of games where she's, like, jumping off the page to me. Like, I kind of expected, especially after the freshman year she had, that we were going to be talking about her all the time. She's going to be putting up these crazy stat lines, and I don't think we've seen it as much this year. So interested to see when they're kind of on this bigger stage against a top 10 opponent. Does she put on the type of performance that a player like her that's in the running to be an All-American we'd expect to put on? Yeah, definitely. A lot of her numbers are down this year from what they were last year. She's been very inconsistent. She's had a couple games. She had uh, New Year's Eve 28 points and 16 rebounds, three steals and four blocks. 
She followed that up with five points on two of 10 shooting. Um, it's, it's just, she's been, she's been up and down and, and probably more down than up this year from at least what you would expect given, you know, given her kind of hype coming into the season. Um, I, I, that 28 and 16 game she had, I was expecting that to be not rare this year and she's done it once. So I was, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm interested to see if she can pick it up, you know, moving more into SEC play. Exactly, yeah. Especially a player I also kind of expected, I think, that would be, you know, averaging something like close to a double-double, and she's just – she's not there right now. So – or actually, just kidding, she is averaging a double-double. But it doesn't, when you look at the individual games, <laughs> it doesn't – it's, like, very offset by those 15-16-rebound like games. Yeah, it doesn't feel like she's averaging a double-double. So she's – her numbers in aggregate – still look pretty good, but I feel like she's just doesn't have the presence on the court that we'd expect from her this season. Yeah, so, well, well, here's to see. the thing when yeah. you look at, like, her, she's averaging 12.8 points. Last year, she was averaging 12.5. She's averaging 10.5 rebounds. Last year, she averaged 9.4. So on the surface, okay, points and rebounding is up. Good. She's averaging a double-double. She didn't last year. She's also averaging one fewer block per game than last year, 2.6 and 1.6, which is partially due to... Uh, Tisha Ami here, you know, taking some of that role. Um, that one is maybe not as big of a deal. The one that really jumps off to the page to me that is a big deal is her shooting. She shot over 60% last year, one of the leaders in the country. She's down at 46% this year in terms of field goals. And it's not just because she started to take a few threes either. Two-point percentage is down from 63 to 48 as well. That's a giant drop in efficiency. I really have no idea where that's coming from other than the fact that well, actually, I kind of do have an idea, I think, because uh, <laughs> Ty Harris and Kiki Herbert-Harrigan were really good at shooting and really pulled the defense out and let Aaliyah Boston go one-on-one. And She hasn't been able to go one-on-one as much this year. Teams are able to double her more and focus in more on her. So I actually do know where it's coming from, but it's still – she's the type of player that you would like to see, you know, at least be in the 50s, whether she's getting doubled or not in terms of her – especially her two-point percentage. Exactly, exactly. And yeah, I think when I mean, it comes right back to what you started off talking about South Carolina with, was the, with their three-point shooting and the fact that on paper it doesn't look that bad, but it's really all Zia Cook. And if Zia Cook's the only outside threat, then, I mean, teams have just, they can don't need to watch them spreading the floor that much and can double inside. But a player like Aaliyah Boston that's, you know, was an All-American last year, expected to be playing like an All-American the schedule that they've played, like, yes, maybe when she's doubled against NC State, she's not going to put up big numbers, but against these other teams, even if they're doubling her or, you know, even triple teaming her, you would expect her shooting percentage to be higher, I think. I you know, at least 50%, maybe even higher than that, even with the double team from some of these weaker opponents. So I, I do still think that, even though obviously she's getting more defensive attention, there's some room for improvement there. Yeah, and her free throw percentage is down from 74 to 65 too, and that's uh, there's no defense that can stop her from making free throws. So, in the exact same amount of attempts per game too. <laughs> so it's it's really just just her shooting in general has been down, and she you know she's going to play in the WNBA and she's going to face tough defenses. So um, she's only a sophomore, she's got a lot of time to figure it out. But um, I'm I hope she does. Agreed, agreed. I'm, I'm sure she will. Even if she's having a down year, I'm sure that we will see her back at an elite level by next year. So. Yeah, and a down year for her is still like an elite year for <laughs> pretty, pretty much pretty anyone good, else. Yeah. So <laughs> it's uh, we, you know, we're heaping on her a little bit, but she's still really, really good. 
Yes, for sure, for sure. Not to be discounted. Just, I think, <laughs> high expectations after we have a freshman yeah. season. So, just want to see more. Exactly. All right. Anything else you have on your mind that you definitely wanted to hit on? Um. Yeah. While we're recording, I just want to shout out the WNBA a little bit for for literally changing the course of this country, possibly. Um, I know we're talking about college basketball mostly, but like the WNBA deserves a massive amount of credit for their activism and the stuff we've been seeing in in America recently. Um, uh, what the players did this summer and how it led to real change is I, I can't get over how impressive it is. Yeah, I would definitely echo that. I think, I mean, like we said at the top, we're recording this Wednesday night and news this morning of the election results in Georgia obviously has gotten overshadowed a little bit by everything else that has happened today. But the WNBA players just serve so much credit for what they did this summer and the way that they took being in the bubble and used it to be active in, in how things are going in our government and making real change. So really impressive from them. Really awesome to see, I think, Absolutely. leading up to everything else that happened today. It was really nice to be on Twitter and to see all the positive um, thoughts around the WNBA and how much change they've Im- impacted. So really awesome to see that. Yeah, despite all the all the all the craziness and, and the terrorism and whatever, whatever else uh, is going on, like it's it's something that gives gives a little bit of hope. For sure, for sure. All right. Well, thanks, Calvin, for hopping on for our first episode of the year. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to another episode of Her Hoop Stats Unplugged. Make sure that wherever you listen to your podcasts, you rate, like, and subscribe to the podcast. It helps other people find us. Make sure to also share it with your NCAA and WNBA loving friends and not just the Unplugged podcast, but Mondays with John and Wednesdays with Courtside with Gabe and Christy as well. In addition, you can find her hoop stats on Substack. You can subscribe to our newsletter for free. And you can find us on all social media platforms at her hoop stats. And last but certainly not least, make sure you check out the stat site at herhoopstats.com. Uh, lots of great NCAA stats there, all types of new things that we've added for this season. So if you haven't checked it out, definitely take a look. Thanks for listening. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.